Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, amen. Uh, the, uh, the coming to worship is first by, begins by meeting God and seeing God. So you notice some of those songs were talking about meeting Him and seeing Him and, and coming into His presence. And you guys have come into His presence today. And uh, assuming that you've met God and assuming that you've you know, understood His character and who He is, we're going to talk about worship today. We're going to talk about authentic worship. Uh, the last two weeks we've talked about how you were made for worship. God made you for Him, for His glory, to worship Him, exalt Him. And last week we really spent a lot of time talking about uh, worship is directed towards God. He's the object. There's so many things in our life that we could worship or exalt or lift up, not God. Uh, we are called to worship God. So today, what is authentic worship? What does it look like? What, is it, what, is it, what does it entail? Uh, what, basically, what, what is worship? And I'm so glad you're here to worship the Lord. And again, we're so grateful to have met the Lord at the table and worshipped Him there and, and given Him praise and honor and glory He's due. Would you please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12? Genesis chapter 12. I want to uh, show you what God's done and uh, give you a picture of, of his heart and his calling for his people. Uh, this is part one of a two-part sermon series, uh, a small sermon series within the sermon series on, on authentic worship. Genesis 12, please, verses 1 through 3. May God bless the reading of his word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, incredible, as, as God called Abram, you know, this, this pagan man, this, this uh, wandering uh, pagan uh, to be his, to leave your family, leave your home, leave everything and come, come with me and I'll show you where I want you to go. I'll show you the land. I'll show you where I want to take you. I'll show you what I want to do with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to use you for wonderful things. In the great calling upon Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And man, you start thinking about that, that, that calling, that, 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 the huge nature of it. Long after Abraham was gone, even till this day, that promise goes out and out and out. And even to this day, around the world, so many people are coming to the Lord, are meeting the Lord, uh, are coming into the kingdom of God, are being saved, are being rescued, are being delivered, are being brought to life. And started way back then with God's calling and His promise about what He would do. And if you read through the book of Genesis, you, you see it. Just as the ongoing story of God's redemption, God's salvation, God's rescue. If you turn over to Genesis 15, Genesis 15, verse 1. Uh, many years have gone by, and, and there's been some trouble and some difficulties in Abraham's life. And, uh, so, but, but God reaffirms His promise, and, and in this passage, He makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. 
I'm your shield, your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Just what God had been saying. And, and he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and a number of stars. If you're able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord. And it was counted to him, credited to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the earth, Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. So there's two, two great promises there. Many descendants, a great number of descendants, an incredible number of descendants, more than the stars in the sky that Abraham could see with the naked eye. And he promised him land. He promised him a promised land. One day there's going to be this land that that your descendants are going to have, and it's going to be glorious and wonderful. Uh, God makes promises. The God who is and who was and who will be, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he, he, he is great in and of himself, but he also does great things. He also does incredible things in the world, in his world. Plans that he's made from long ago. If you look at verse, verse 13 with me, the same chapter. Uh, then the Lord said to Abram, in the previous verses, uh, he started to make a covenant with Abram. And, and he said, the Lord, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offsprings will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here. And they, your, your offspring, they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Uh, God was going to judge the sins of the pagans, the, the, the Amorites, when it was full. Uh, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, and uh, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So we, we have this God who makes promises, covenant promises. And if you go back home today and you read that chapter, how God cut a covenant with, with Abram, how, how God made promises, and, and they, they, they cut the animals, and, and God symbolically walked through, and Abram walked through, uh, it, just a beautiful uh, a sign of, of if I don't keep my promises, you know, may I be dead as these animals are, <laughs> kind of a deal. And you keep your promises too, Abram. And, and the start of this wonderful, this calling of God, this plan of God, this, this outflow of God doing great things in the world. And the, the things that God chose to do, God planned things, God, God sovereign God orchestrated the world to become what he wanted it to become, to act in the way that wanted, he wanted it to act. Uh, How awesome is our God, how incredible is our God that He could do these things, and yet He he does them. If you turn to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, uh, hundreds of years later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 23. You know the story, uh, the beginning of Exodus, how the people grew and grew and grew, and, and Pharaoh didn't know what to do, and they started to enslave the people. But verse 23, after a, a, a long time, um, after God started to call uh, his people to himself, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. 
and people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groanings, and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and knew them. You see, uh, even, even before they knew they were a people of God, they were a people of God. God chose them and called them and loved them and blessed them. And, and this, is, this is something that their ancestors started to see. The patriarchs started to see. Hundreds of years later, God's plan and His purposes and His promises are coming true. He's such a great God. He's such an incredible God, such a glorious God who does wonderful things on the earth, redeeming a fallen, broken world, bringing people and peoples to Himself. It's, 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 it's stunning. So, so it starts this, this kind of plan of redemption with, with Moses. It, it started with Abraham, now it comes to Moses. Now Moses, verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. That's, that's Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take uh, your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Notice what he said, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow, what an incredible God we serve. What an incredible God that's alive today, present today, working in our world today, working in His churches today, present with us. Back in the day, we see Him making promises hundreds of years in advance. These things are going to happen. And then when the time comes, when the time is right, when the time is fulfilled, that, that Kairos time, that perfect time, God comes and He works His might. He works His power to save, to rescue, to deliver. My people, I've heard them cry, and I'm going I'm to bring them out. Moses, get ready. And so the, 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 following, the following chapters are about some of the struggles that Moses had with believing that God could use him, and God could, God could use him to bring the people out. And there's some dialogue back and forth. But if you look at the end of, of chapter 4, verses 29 through, through 31, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and the signs in the sight of the people. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshipped. Uh, worship isn't a, isn't a it's, it's a deep, wonderful, it, it can be a mystical thing, a, a mysterious thing, a, a feeling, an emotion. Sometimes we think of worship as just songs or just that 15 or 20 minutes during a, a worship service on a Sunday morning where you get to sing to God, but worship is so much broader and huger and mightier than that. Worship, worship is so incredible. 
Uh, here we see in a very basic level that it starts with response. It starts, worship is response at the foundational bedrock level of what it means to worship. It's response. These people, man, is, is they, they've been in slavery. They've been, they've been in, in darkness. And God says, I'm going to call you out of darkness into my wonderful light. I'm going to call you to life. I'm going to bring, bring you out. And, and certainly, uh, again, the, the Bible is so condensed in so, so, in so many ways. They remember the promises that God made to Father Abraham. They remember the promises to Isaac and to Jacob, to the patriarchs. They remembered all that God had done. And they, 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 they came to, to, to see how glorious He was and how incredible He was, how, how mighty He was, how powerful He was, and, and that He was going to love them, that He cared for them. Nobody's, nothing's. Nobody, the world had written them off. The, the, the Egyptians looked at them as, as chattel, as, as just chaff in the wind. They could care less, but God called their name. God cared about them. God loved them. And how do, how do you respond to that other than worship? And uh, there, there are several words uh, that are used uh, for worship. And here, one of the words that you see again and again in the Old Testament is that they bowed their heads and worshipped. Uh, worship oftentimes is an attitude of bowing, an attitude of acknowledging the greatness of God, acknowledging His glory. And so uh, there, there's expressions of worship, but it starts with an attitude in the heart of worship, responding to the greatness of God, responding to who He is and what He's done. We have the privilege to worship. When you come on Sunday mornings, it's a part of a bigger life, or it should be a part of a larger life. It's, it's a part of a, a grander lifestyle of worship. We've gathered because He's great. We've gathered because He's worthy. We've gathered because He's done wonderful things and He's doing wonderful things. He's going to do wonderful things. Worship is response to His revelation of who He is and what He's done. Well, the story of, of Exodus uh, continues, and, and through ups and downs, through different things, God, in His mighty hand, brings them out. And we get to chapter 19, turn to chapter 19 of Exodus. Verse 1, we, we get to this point, and, and God has brought them where? He's brought them to the mountain of God. He's going to give them some perspective. He's going to give them a calling. He's going to give them a vocation. He's going to give them a future. He's going to give them an avenue for worship. Chapter 19, verse 1. The third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out to Myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders and the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the, the story of Exodus is, is incredible. It, it's really, a, if you want a, a high point in the Old Testament, 
It's the event of Exodus. It's the event of God calling His people out of darkness into His light, calling people forth that would be His, that would live for Him. It's a huge event, and the rest of the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, is, is affected by these events. But he called the people to himself. Where did he call them to? The same mountain where, where the burning bush was, the same place where Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law. Uh, God said, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring the people back here. And he kept his promise. He kept his word. He brought the people back that Moses had brought out. And he says to tell the people this, Remember how I brought you out on eagle's wings. In other words, remember my grace. Tell the people to remember my grace. Remember what I did. The undeserved love, the undeserved salvation, the undeserved uh, blessing that I, that, I, that I caused to happen. That, that metaphor, that, that imagery of eagle's wings. Like a mother eagle in the nest, you know, overshadowing uh, her chicks to protect them, to watch over them. More than that, the eagle's wings. You've seen the videos, perhaps, of how eagles, when they get kicked the fledgling out of the nest, right? And, and the mom's there as the eagle's trying to fly for the first time. The mom's there. If, if, the, if the little eagle starts to flounder, the, the mom eagle comes under and, and, and catches the, the baby eagle on, on her back and carries. And so God's saying, I carried you to this place by my power, by my authority, by my strength. You didn't come here by your strength. You, you weren't saved by your, your power, by your will, by your desire. I brought you here. I saved you. I delivered you. Remind the people that I, I brought you out on eagle's wings from slavery and darkness to life and freedom and a future. And we can say the same thing, can't we? How God has rescued us and delivered us and brought him, us to himself. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor. He starts with grace. It always starts with grace. If you've been saved, it always starts because, started because God called you first. God moved in your life first. God did something on your account, on your behalf, that you couldn't do yourself. Worship always starts with God. It always is initiated by God. It's always, he's always the subject, the subject of a, of a sentence. Somebody's doing something. Somebody's acting in some way. God is the subject, moving and acting in our midst. And He always has been and He always will be. He's worthy of our worship. He says, I, I called Israel to Myself. I, I brought you out of eagle's wings. Now, verse 5. Therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant... Okay, so sometimes we read this and we think, well, God's saying, uh, if, you'll, if you'll obey me, I'll save you. Or sometimes we read and we say, if you'll keep my covenant, then I'll save you. And, and sometimes it's misread as a, as a works righteousness or a works salvation. Well, if God's going to take us to be His, if God's going to love us, if God's going to make us to be His people, we've got to earn it. We've got to be righteous and holy first. And that's not what it's saying. Because there already is people. Way back in Genesis 3, my people, and through Exodus 3, my people, my people, my people. You can go home and read the book of Exodus. God had already set his love upon them. Remember, uh, Abram had another son, Ishmael. God's love wasn't on Ishmael, it was on Isaac. Right? It wasn't on Esau, uh, Isaac's sons, it was on Jacob. God had chosen a people for himself, and, and that people flowered and grew and had descendants, so many like the, the grains of sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky, God made a people for himself. So he's not, there already is people. What, he, what he's saying here, he's saying, if then you obey me, I've already saved you, I've already brought you to myself, 
if then, he's saying, if you'll worship. If then, you obey me and you keep my covenant. And and so much of the next uh, three books, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, is about uh, reciting the covenant and bringing the covenant to them. If then, you'll be, for me, a treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. You shall be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And, And what's that saying? If you'll respond to my salvation with your life, if you'll respond to my salvation with your very being, if you'll respond to my rescue and my deliverance uh, with obedience, then for me you'll be my treasured possession. And, And what does that mean? A treasured possession. Out of all the nations, there's going to be this one nation that's that's going to be able to do God's work. A treasure possession out of all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the world, you're going to be, you're going to be this, this, this people that's able to carry my purposes to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And it's the same today in the church. Man, if God's already saved us, God has already blessed us, He's already graced us, He's already done all the work, and He calls us to be His treasure possession, to be His, His people that, that respond in obedience, to respond with love, to respond with, by going and serving and giving in His name. You'll be for me a, a kingdom of priests, He says. What's that about? A, a nation that is, that's called to serve. Right? Priests are mediators between God and man. And so the, the, he, throughout uh, the, the coming books, he's going to talk about the priesthood and what they do and what they accomplish. But it wasn't just this set-aside, Aaronic priesthood. It wasn't just this set-aside group of people that were priests. I want you to be a nation of priests. I want you to be my servant people that go to the world and magnify the Lord for, for me. To magnify uh, what they, they think that God looks like a stone or God looks like a frog or God looks like a, you know, the, these things they create in their mind, fallen images, idolatry, it's ugly and it's heinous. I want you to go and show them what I'm like. You're going to be my servant people if then. If you'll obey me, if you'll serve the covenant, if you walk in my ways, you'll be for me this, this, this people that carry my purposes, that bring the gospel to the world, that bring the truth of God to the world. Uh, you'll be for me a holy nation, not just a, a, a holy, sometimes we talk about holiness as being set apart from, right? You'll not just be a, a, a people set apart from me, a holy nation, you'll be set apart for, a people set apart for me to serve me, to glorify me, to honor me, to bless me. If you will obey my voice, if you will keep the covenant that he gives. And and so the people, maybe a little bit naively, say, yeah, we'll do it. They haven't heard the covenant yet. (laughs) right? They they haven't heard what God requires of them yet. And that's what the, the coming chapters get into. Uh, we're not going to take the time to read it. I, I trust that you've read the Ten Commandments before. But the, uh, the Ten Commandments are basically, the first tablet is about um, saying no to idolatry, no to false gods, about respecting the name of the Lord, and about keeping the, tablet, the, the, the Sabbath holy. So it's about honoring God and glorifying God. Second tablet of the Ten Commandments Right? It, it's, about, it's about how to live in family and how to live as a nation. You know, you shall honor father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. How to live with people in a healthy, good way. See, these are the principles of his people. 
I want you to live by my principles. I want you to live by my teaching. If you live by my principles, if you live by my teaching, you will be for me this treasure possession. You'll carry my purposes. You'll glorify me and you'll honor me. And then from uh, kind of, I guess, chapter 20 through to verse 18 through the end of chapter 23, it's called the case laws. These are special laws that were focused for the Israelites. The law was given to Israel. It's Israel's law. It's not necessarily our law in, in many ways. The case laws were like applications of the principles of the Ten Commandments in their setting, in their time, in their place. So sometimes we read the case laws or we read through some of the Old Testament like, what is he talking about there? Well, initially it was primarily for Israel and how to honor God and serve God in their context. Because where's God taking them? God's taken them to the promised land, and, and that promised land is much different than modern 21st century America and what it required of them and how they should live. Uh, so it's an incredible thing where, where God says, I'll, you, you, you want to be my people? Here's how to be my people. And, and after hearing the covenant, now, now the covenant, I just, just uh, I, I've been there's so much to cover here, so much I want to say here, but let me just say, say it narrowly. Uh, the, the people of, of uh, Israel, they spent 11 months on the, at the mountain before they marched out. Eleven months learning the commandments of God. Uh, the rest of Exodus, it, it talks about the, the tabernacle, how the tabernacle was built, and then it talks about the sacrifices and the offerings, uh, the priesthood. And uh, the covenant is renewed in Deuteronomy. It's, it's an incredible account of what God's done. But uh, God, God not only saved them, and He not only gave Him His, his commands for them to follow, he provided a, the means of relationship. He provided a means of, of keeping the relationship close and near. So he gave this sacred space called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle allowed people to draw near to God, a holy God. How do you draw near to a holy God? That song we sang, take me into the holy of holies. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? Right? It, God's present. He's near. He's close. And in the New Testament, we find out we, he takes us there through the blood of the Lamb. Praise God, we're able, but, but in the olden days, you, you couldn't just walk in there. But he gave them the holy place as a symbol of his presence, and he gave sacrifices and offerings so that they could have a relationship with God. How do you stay in a relationship with a holy God? Uh, the, the sacrifices are basically sin offerings and guilt offerings uh, to, to deal with your sin. And then there's a burnt offering to deal with a consecration. How do, I, how, do I, how do I consecrate myself to the Lord? How do I walk with the Lord? I, I, I offer myself as a burnt offering. Then, then there's the peace offerings. How do I get back into fellowship with God? Uh, the, the peace offerings. So an interlocking system of, of, of sacrifices to, to, that God allowed to, to bring them near because he wanted a relationship. He wanted to be with his people. And he gave the priest to mediate. The priest to mediate. The Aaronic priesthood to mediate between him and them. Because again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How, how does common people like me enter into God's holy presence? I needed a mediator. And, and so all that points to Jesus in the New Testament. We'll talk about that next week. But this, this, this account, uh, uh, in this narrow focus in Exodus, if you look at 24 with me, chapter 24, um, as, as we think about what worship is and, and what it, what's authentic worship, <clears throat> uh, worship is response. Worship is response. I, imagine... Imagine if you're the Israelites and you've been slaves all your life and you, and you had this hope in, in a God that would come and save you. And He does. Just as what was promised hundreds of years before. And, and imagine this God reveals Himself to you. 
He shows you His greatness. He shows you His wonder. They saw what God did against all the gods of Egypt. How He destroyed them and blew them up and, and, and just wrecked the whole Egyptian uh, mythology. right? And, and took it all apart. And they saw how great He was as He opened the Red Sea. How great is our God? How great is our God? He can do all things. And then He condescends to give us His instructions. He gives us the way He wants us to live. Worship is a response, and it's a, you guys, worship is a, authentic worship is a total life, whole life response to who God is and what He's done. He's an incredible God who's worthy of your worship, but it, it's, not like, it's not like He brought Israel just out and said, okay, see you later, I, I just saved you to save you. No, worship is a response to God. Authentic, wor- authentic worship is, is a call to serve Him. Authentic worship, real worship, true worship isn't just singing 10 or 15 minutes of songs on Sunday mornings. It's this life response of living by His Word and living by His teaching and living by His truth because He's revealed it. And He calls, it, calls us into it. man. And if we go into it, if we walk with Him and obey Him and trust Him, man, fruit comes. Fruit comes as we abide. And that's probably more of next week, abiding in Christ and living in Christ and and walking Him, authentic worship, this attitude and this spirit of being with Him. But here in 24, chapter 24, it says the covenant confirmed the heading of my Bible. Look at it with me because I want you to see a little bit more of this. Uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Then He said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship." From afar, so he's calling them to worship after he's given the covenant. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So the, you start looking at this, and boy, everybody's there. The, the, the elders, the, the, this, kind of this inner circle, um, all the people are there. Some can get closer than others because in those days, only the consecrated could draw near to the holy God. So there's levels of, of uh, accessibility to God, as it were. Thank God we're in the, the New Covenant where that's not the issue anymore. But he's calling them to worship. He's saying, get them ready to worship. Are they going to worship? Verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So God calls the nation to participate Worship is a participatory act. Worship is a verb. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is, is acting on what God has shown for, about Himself and what He's done. It's always response. God says, get the nation ready to worship. Get the w- nation ready to participate and respond to what I've done. And so Moses goes down and he tells the people, what? All the words of the Lord and all the rules... And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Authentic worship is obeying the Word of God, doing the Word of God, keeping the Word of God. Man, this great God, the Maker of heaven and earth, this this great God who is outside of of time and space, He created everything, and 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 He's marvelously and incredibly, and and wow, He's cared enough about us to give us his word he's calling us to live for him and glorify him and honor him with our life in obedience so what moses does there in verse three 
uh, he, he, he speaks the covenant. Okay, what, what God has revealed in, in chapter 20 through 23, Moses says, he comes down the mountain, he says, here's what God says. And, and the people said, oh, we're going to do it all. Moses wrote down all the words, verse 4. He wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain in 12 pillars. 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes. According to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the, God, of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar, consecrating the altar. Then he, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. So, so, so like the first reading was like, hey, this is what it says. Are you guys good to go? This is what God says. Here's all His words. Are you feeling like you're going to enter into worship with Him? And they said, yeah. So what He does, He sets up this worship scene. He sets up this, this kind of the, this concert, consecration, this ratification of the covenant. And he, they sacrifice animals because there is no you know, worship without the shedding of blood. It's sealed in the, in the blood. Sealed in the life given of others for their sake. Uh, he, he's, he's there and he, he's setting it up and, he, and this time he's written it all down. Verse 7, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. So they've heard it twice now. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. Pleasant scene. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And sometimes in church we, we hear people say, The blood of the, the, blood of the lambs on, on his people, the blood, the blood of the lamb has, has been poured out upon you. And what we say, What in the world is that? But the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So a life has been given. In the Old Testament, life was given, and the, the blood represents life. So when we say that the blood is on His people, a life is on a people. A death has been taken, a death has been received, and it covers them. And so what happens when He, when he sprinkles the blood on the people? He's saying, you've been forgiven, you've been received, you've entered in this covenant. It's a consecration, but it's also forgiveness. And uh, we'll see next week what... This means for us. But then, uh, verse 9, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the seventy of the elders of Israel, went up and they saw the God of Israel. So a, a theophany of God, a, a, an image of God. See, uh, there's some verses that say you can't see God, but sometimes God, con sometimes God condescends and lets people see images or visions of Him. They saw the, the people, uh, the God of Israel, there was under his feet as it were pavements of sapphire stone like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and they drank. And so a, a fellowship meal, a covenant meal, like they've ratified the covenant, they've agreed to it. Now, now they're, they're one and now they're together and, and God in his grace, the, the people are able to be in his presence because of his grace, because he's provided the sacrifices, he's provided what they need to be in his presence. And now let's do this together. Let's go, and, and remember back in Genesis chapter, chapter 12, verse 3, why did God do all this? What was God's plan? What was God's purpose? Because God wanted to bless the nations of the world. God wanted, 
this, this Israelite people, this group of people, he didn't save them for themselves. He, he, he loved them, he blessed them, he, he, he took care of them. But the idea was that in his plan of redemption, he was going to use them to be a kingdom of priests. He was going to use them to bless the nations. See, God, from the, from, from the fall, when sin came in and wrecked, wrecked creation and wrecked the, the people of the earth, God started a plan of redemption, a plan of salvation that continues to this day. He started with Abraham, then he started with Abraham's family, a tribe, and then he moved to a nation. Now he's moved to a, a church, his church around the world. The same mission, the same purpose. God's love and His grace, He wants people to meet Him and know Him. And He sends us out, as the Israelites were sent out, to be that, that people that would, would minister to them, would magnify the Lord before the world, would tell people of God's love and who He is, so that they'll become worshipers too. So they'll become worshipers too. What a great plan of God. And, and uh, the story, and I'm not going to keep you much longer, but, but the, the, the history in the Bible is just incredible how this plays out. And you know, don't you, that Israel struggled? They struggled to be the worshipers that God wanted them to be. They fell into idolatry again and again. Boy, they hardly left the mountain of God before they started thinking about other gods. And they started thinking about themselves, and they missed it. But, but we, we read again and again, God keeps coming after them. God keeps calling them. And there's a beautiful scene in, in the book of Joshua. Beautiful scene in the book of Joshua. We've turned to the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24. I want to just give you, uh, as we talk about what worship is and what authentic worship is, uh, Again, I don't have the time to read this whole thing, but if you look at Joshua 24, and in verses 1 through 13, uh, there's, there's this, this picture of Joshua at the end of his life. He starts recounting. He starts recounting all that God has done. He starts bringing it to the people who have come into the land. God did this, and God did this, and God did that, didn't he? And he's waiting for the amen. Yeah, God did that. God, God rescued and God saved, didn't he? Yes, he did. God, God did it again and again. God did all these things. He brought you out of Egypt. He loved you. He, he, he blessed you. He gave you, gave you his covenant. He, he's taken so much. He's done so much. He's awesome, this God of ours. See, that's, that's where worship begins. It starts with what God has done, who he is, and what he's done. And so when we come to Sunday mornings, when we, we, we live this, in this life, in this world, it, it starts with, if you don't know God, if you don't know what He's done, you can't be a worshiper. Authentic worship starts with a relationship with God, of knowing God, what He's done, and who He is. It, it starts there, because God has initiated, God's moved, He's acted, and, and our response is called worship. And so verses 1 through 13 is, God, is Mo, Joshua saying, hey, remember what God did, remember who He is. And then in verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. There's two more words there. Fear, that reverence, that respect. You see that again and again. Uh, 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 an awe of God at what He's done. And the response is fear, is reverence, is respect. And then the second response is serve Him. Serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's called repentance. They're still carrying their gods that they brought with them from Egypt. It's been so long. They haven't repented yet. They haven't turned yet. They haven't, they haven't broken their hearts yet and said, we give up these gods. We give up these false gods. There's so many false gods in our world today. Give up your gods. Fear Him. 
serve Him instead. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's calling, at the end of his life, he's saying, man, I'm going with the Lord. Because of who he is and what he's done, I'm going to serve the Lord. What about you? Decide today. Get rid of your gods. Get rid of your idols, your false gods, your false hopes, your false dreams that are built on culture and society and what, what, the, what the advertisers say you have to live with and have to have. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up, out, us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. See, they're worshiping now. And out of the house of slavery, who did great signs in the sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. See, they, they're recounting reasons to worship. Have, have you recounted this week all the things God has done for you this week? Have you remembered how He saved you? How He pulled you out of the pit? How He delivered you and rescued you? All the ways He's blessed you? All the ways He's kept you from being harmed? All, all the blessings and, and all the wonderful gifts He's given you again and again. That's, that's the start of worship. Because worship is response. If your worship is weak and small, it probably means your God is weak and small in your sight. If, if you're far from God right now, it's probably because you've lost sight of the living God and how glorious and how wonderful He is. If you're drifting into doubt and darkness, open your eyes, lift up your eyes to the God and all that He is and all, all who He is and, and, and worship Him. They say at, at the end of verse 18, Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And we call that worship. May we be worshipers of the living God. For he is worthy. Would you please stand with me in his presence? Lord God, forgive us for the times we forget all the mighty works you've done on our behalf. Forgive us for the times that we've forgotten your goodness. For, forgive us for the times that we've, we've uh, treated as something small your salvation. Forgive us for the times that we worship man-made things and we forget to worship the God who make, made the galaxies and holds all things together. Lord, thank you. Help us remember that you're present with us now. That in your grace, you've condescended to live in us. That in this dispensation, this, this age, this time, we are the temple of the living God. Wow. May you be worshipped, Lord. That you've taken us and made us your people when we didn't deserve it. You've, you've, you've done so many wonderful things, Lord. And, and the more we learn of you, the more our eyes are opened to how great you are. Thank you for calling us to worship. Lord, may our lives be our response. For you are worthy, Lord. Worthy of glory and honor and praise and thanks. Worthy of our very lives. Make us worshipers, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see you. 
and that we may respond to you as you so richly deserve. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in the peace and the power of the living God who is in your midst. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.